Welcome to Stress-Free IEP. You do not need to do it all alone. With your host, Francis Schefter, Principal of Schefter Law. You can get more details and catch prior episodes at www.schefterlaw.com. The Stress-Free IEP video podcast is also posted on YouTube and LinkedIn, and you can listen to episodes through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and more. Now, here's the host of Stress-Free IEP, Francis Schefter. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our show. Today, I have an extra special guest who I'm so excited to have on because similar to me, she has a master's in special education, and she was a teacher for several years. So she has a different perspective as well. Lavanda Roundtree from Educational Support Services. Lavanda, please introduce yourself. Thank you so much. Yes, I'm Lavanda Roundtree, as she said, um, and I am so excited to be here. Um, I absolutely was a special educator in one of the public school systems uh, here in Maryland. Um, and I am not doing that anymore. I'm doing something that's even more fun. <laughs> so thank you so much for having me. Of course. Yeah. You, you said more fun, academic yeah. therapist. Absolutely. Is, yeah. So tell me more about that because everybody's like academic therapist. What is that? Yeah. So, um, and I get that question a lot. So just in general, academic therapy um, or an academic therapist is someone who's been trained, intensely trained um, in um, a, a particular subject area, usually reading or mathematics. Um, and there's most of the time it's a multi-sensory type of instruction, but it's a more intense instruction outside of what's given to you normally. Um, a therapist actually has to go through a practicum. Um, mine was 700 hours supervised practicum, yeah, to really um, to even receive that certification. But you have to, you know, show that you were able to demonstrate these um, practices in order to have a student excel. So it is beyond the normal just tutoring, um, which is which I've done some of that. I still do some of that, but most of my students are students who need academic therapy. Um, yeah, I can tell you a little bit about how I got into that. So well, I was going to ask real quick before sure. you go into that, um, just for if anybody doesn't understand what a practicum is, that's okay. kind of like an internship, right? Yes, that's it. An internship. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So I guess in different fields, it's different. Practicum, internship. Yeah. Same thing. Mm hmm. Perfect. Awesome. So yes, tell us, how did you get into academic therapy? So yeah, interesting journey. So I, um, when I was teaching as a special educator, uh, every school that I went to or every, yeah, you, you teach in different schools, but every classroom I had, there was always that one kid who didn't progress when it came to the reading instruction, right? And I'm just like, okay, I'm a special educator, right? I'm supposed to be moving kids who, you know, have difficulties in reading, but there was always that one kid, it was just not working. So I'm just like, okay, well, let me pull out this trick. Let me pull out this tip. So I'm pulling things out of my trick bag, right? To apply to this one kid and it still wasn't working. So let's say I've got five kids moving, one isn't working, four kids are moving, one isn't moving. And it's just like, oh my gosh. So anyway, um, after doing this for several years using all the tricks and it wasn't working, you know, still remembering the faces. I still remember those faces now to this day of those students who were not able to progress. But I found out about this thing called dyslexia. And 
I had never heard of it before. It's like, well, let me just go find out what this interest meeting was about. Now, mind you, this was a long time ago. You know, I don't want to date myself, but um, this was back. There was a program. It's now called the Dyslexia Tutoring Program. But when I started, it was called May Day. (laughs) (laughs) And so I said, well, let me find out more about this. And in doing that, I learned that Okay, I never even heard of this before. You know, I am a special educator. Why didn't I know about this? Um, and you know, especially if you're going through the training, like, you know, being you getting a degree, like, why haven't I heard about this? Um, and so that's what I did. I started my journey there. Uh, and I quickly realized that all those tricks and tips uh, that I was using didn't work because teaching reading isn't magic. You know what I mean? There's nothing magically delicious about it. Right. And so um, I learned that there is there's a bit of science to this thing for teaching struggling readers. And so instead of tricks, I get to use my knowledge um, to help students uh, learn how to read, especially those students who are just differently abled. Right. Teaching them how to read. And so now that I have that, I'm now currently doing academic therapy with students one-on-one. But another reason why I did it too was um, I also saw that in my community, you just didn't hear about this, at least back at that time. It's totally different now. Okay. But at that time that wasn't happening, you know, in my community. And so if a student didn't know how to read, oh, well, it's just kind of, you know, what happened, you know, okay, he's just a non-reader. He's always going to need help or not, you know, never going to get a job. Even going to dyslexia conferences, you just didn't see, <laughs> you just didn't see people look like me. And dyslexia touches every kid, right? Dyslexia doesn't, it knows no color, it knows no ethnicity, no religion. It just doesn't, you know? And so I think that in order to, for all of us to know about it, you know, somebody had to be there to tell everyone, right? Um, right. And so that everyone can get that same assistance and help. And so that was second reason. So you know, have some folks and be able to bring it to my community with some knowledge. You don't just want to say dyslexia and you don't know what to say or right. what to do, um, you know, what to say about it. And in addition, the final thing is that I love helping the underdog, right? I, I just love it. You know, I love those kids when they say, oh, he'll never read or she'll never read. Okay, it's a dare to me, right? You're daring me. <laughs> I to, do the same thing. Yeah, you're daring me. To, you're daring me to show you what's going to happen with this kid. So I love those cases, especially when they tell, when they say, oh, the school, the teachers said that he'll never read. She'll never read. Uh, okay. We'll see. Let's show them. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Cause that's me also. I mean, that's what my, my whole firm is based on and my YouTube channel and this show is to show people like what else is out there. Yes. Because surprisingly enough, even today I get people saying, there's education attorneys that can help us with this. Wow. People don't know. And wow. then with academic therapy, and I know with reading, with dyslexia, it's it's like the new, although now they're going into 2E more, but the dyslexia yeah. is, you know, new. Because when I was in school, everybody thought dyslexia was just flipping letters. They didn't right. know the true, <laughs> yeah, dating myself as well um, <laughs> back then. Um, but yeah, dyslexia, I mean, and it's so different. And I'm not sure, I don't want to put you on the spot or anything, but like in teaching, when you were teaching and as a special educator, were you able to use the techniques that a dyslexic child needs in the classroom to help the child? 
So yes, after after I received all of my training, I did bring that training into the classroom. However, it, it was difficult. It wasn't easy because, you know, people like, for instance, OK, in the school system, you have to teach, you know, they use certain reading programs and that's fine. I can use a program. That's fine. Um, but I use all the other knowledge I've learned and brought that to the program. But what happens sometimes, of course, is, okay, you know, let's say, let's just say, for example, there is ABC reading program and um, the school says, okay, for the first month, this is where you need to be. You need to be on set one, okay? But by the time we reach December, you should be on set three. Well, it just doesn't work like that. There are students, if you have a reading group Every student in that reading class, that reading intervention class is still on a different level. And so what I found found myself doing, of course, because I have the knowledge, I'm able to look and look at, you know, see what children are doing, how they're responding. And from that, you can tell exactly what they need. And so wanting to give all six of my children at the so my students at the same time what they need is difficult because this student, literally all of them need a phonological awareness. Let's say, for instance, phonological awareness. However, I mean, you know, they need assistance in phonological awareness, but they're all at different, you know, right. on different levels, even in that, before we even get to, you know, the actual reading part. And so um, that's what was difficult. But the one thing I can say is that even though it would appear as if I moved slower, they had such a strong foundation so that when the next teacher came in and started reading intervention, they were able to move quickly. Um, and so that was for me. For me, I was always trying to build that foundation because reading does not improve. You can have a kid in reading intervention classes and that's fine. They do work. I'm not saying they don't work. However, if your child has holes in their in the foundation, it doesn't matter. There's always going to be weakness, weaknesses. And you don't have to have them if you do the right thing, you know, um, the right thing the first time. So if you start, I mean, especially to you talking about older kids, the older kids, the foundation is just kind of rocky. You know, if they're struggling in reading, they have a weak foundation. Of course, it's always say, you know, you know, the earlier you do it, the earlier you do this, the better. Okay, so that's just real. But for kids who are already is, in middle and high school, you know, it's just you have to build that foundation before you get to, you know, you know, bigger words and, you know, fluent reading. And at that point in middle school and high school, like you have that content that you need. Yes. Um, and I, and that, that kicks back to something like I hate when schools say, oh, let's wait and see. They'll catch up. Uh, right. Like. No, this is the time we need to teach them. Yes, this is yes. it. If we don't get the foundation and the skills now, when is it going to be taught to them? Right. Um, and I was no, going to say on that note too. You you lose kids. You lose kids when you do that. So yeah. the older they are, you just start to lose them, and they become just so distant. They're just so I don't. Know, they're just broken by that time when you keep waiting. You keep waiting. Their expectation is that they're going to continue to fail. That is their expectation. And so they get to at some point, they don't even try anymore, you know? Yeah. And so that's what you don't want to do. So I understand when sometimes they'll say, let's wait and see, let's wait and see. But I can admonish every parent, everyone who's listening, do not wait and see. Please don't wait. The longer you wait, the harder it will be. Just please don't wait. And just listen to that inner, you know, something's kind of nagging at you. 
I say it just, all the time. Yeah, the just, <laughs> yeah, just go for it. Ask. And if they're not, if you're still not getting, especially after a year, you're still not getting, they're still not hearing you, look for outside help. Don't wait. Okay. I know we expect, oh, the school is supposed to, but if the school is not, do not wait for them. You do what you need to do for your child. Exactly. And that's, you know, I've, I've counseled clients often on, we can get a perfect IEP. I can do that. No problem. We can get it. However, especially for our older children with dyslexia, mm -hmm. they don't have the resources. The child, your child's going to miss too much of the regular day to really teach the foundation that they need to know. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I tell people like, you can hire me, I'll get you a perfect IEP, or you can take that money and hire an independent tutor, academic therapist, and get the foundation skills. Absolutely. Because unfortunately, well, you know, schools have to provide FAPE, free and appropriate public education. Right. Not the best. Right. As long as exactly. you're progressing somewhat, you know, it's good enough. Yeah, very um, good. I'm glad you said that because you're right. They, I think that's what a lot of times, and I'm not saying they shouldn't, but a lot of times parents have the expectation and it's just appropriate, you know, and you know, so. And it's, it's interesting when you went into about the training for the academic therapy, because I remember, so I did my undergrad in early childhood and I was a teacher. I was a reading specialist no extra training, mm -hmm. nothing, right? Mm -hmm. I, okay, I'm a reading specialist now. And then I remember I went back to, to get certified in special ed and do my master's and I was learning all these skills. And I'm like, why didn't we learn this for teaching in general, <laughs> right? Like, absolutely. <laughs> if classrooms did this more, we wouldn't have as many issues. Absolutely, absolutely. And I'm, I'm just grateful now that they are doing that now, but just think about the years of like, you know, when you and I were teaching, we started like this, it just wasn't available. And all the folks that we could have, I'm not saying they're not getting help. I don't know what's happened to them, but we could have saved so many people. Like this is stuff that should have been done, should have been in just your regular, you know, program for being, you know, having a degree. But it just wasn't. So, I mean, they're doing that now and I'm grateful they're doing that now, but it just wasn't like that at that time. And so we still have people who, you know, as a result of that, um, who are still suffering. You right. Know. Exactly. And I um, I was just thinking about it that um, I lost my train of thought. Oh, the skills training. So reading specialists mm -hmm. learn how to teach reading. Yes. Special education special, you know, special educators learn how to teach special ed. Yeah. There's not one that teaches both. Exactly. You're, you're absolutely right. Yeah. And that's, and that's where it. you come yeah. in. And that's where I come in. Yeah. But even, you know, for me, like, like I said, I had to go outside. I had to go outside to get my training. You know, it was extremely expensive and extremely time consuming, which I'm not upset about, but it is a lot of work. Um, and so that's what you had to do to get the information that you probably should have gotten in the university, but you didn't. And, you know, no slide on universities or anything like that. Um, but yeah, it just, um, that's where I come in. And right. so, uh, yeah. yeah. No, I love it. And then <laughs> I think um, you touched on for adults also, because I know a lot of adults that don't like to read mm -hmm. and chances are they probably have dyslexia, but because of when they were in school way back, yes. it wasn't talked about and it was exactly. pushed under the rug. Exactly. So, can you help adults? Absolutely. I have no age limit. 
Um, I do. Um, I haven't had an adult lately, and I'm sure that's for various reasons, just especially too, because, well, the thing about this, when I find the adult students that I have had um, in the past, they were working really great jobs, excellent, you know, fantastic jobs, but they hit a roadblock at a certain point when something very public happened to them. And and that's usually when I got those adult students. Um, For an adult, I guess sometimes it can be kind of embarrassing, like, you know, to not know what a sound is or whatever. But again, that's where someone like an academic therapist would come in. So therapy is that when we talk about therapy versus tutoring, they are different. And so um, as an academic therapist, there are there is a, an emotional factor or that kind of that we have to deal with coming from, you know, our students. And so you have to be, you know, very understanding about that and let them know, yeah, OK, you're an adult. It's, you know, yeah, it's a bit of a struggle, but let's just fix it. Let's move on. We're not judging. Let's move on and go past that. So, yeah, I have no age limit. I love that you said that because that's that's one of my um, biggest things recently is that children with neurodiverse children think differently. Their brain works differently. Mm -hmm. And what frustrates me is they're not normal. (laughs) And like for adults that can't read, right. there's nothing wrong with them. The school system failed them. Right, right. You know? Yeah. And it's just, I, I, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day about ADHD mm. and about how, I, you know, I joke around that a, litigated, a litigator attorney can't not have ADHD. Right. Because you know, in the courtroom, <laughs> yeah. you have to pay attention to the judge and the jury and the witness and what you're going to say next and like jump all over the place. Yes. And I had somebody telling me, she's like, yeah, when I had this one job, I was the best at it because I could hyper focus and catch every detail because of her ADHD. Right. And it's just our school systems, as great as they are here in Maryland, it's not, they're still not perfect. And they still need to go back to focusing on where children excel. Not everybody's going to be a great reader. Right. Not everybody's going to be great at math. Right. It's okay. Right. Find your, you know, find what's your specialty and build up on that instead of, oh, well, you can't do that. You can't do that. You can't do that. And you're beating this child down. Exactly. Exactly. So, I, heard once, I don't know if you heard this or not, but I heard once that um, third grade is kind of the age. If you don't have a child loving learning and wanting to learn more by third grade, chances are you're not going to get that child back into the education fully. Um. I well, I haven't heard third grade in that regard. I've heard um, with regard to teaching how you need to catch them by the third grade. And so even with that statement, if you need to catch them by the third grade, then you can't be in first and second grade saying, well, let's just wait and see. So if there's an issue in first grade, kindergarten, if there's an issue there, you need to catch it then. So by the time they get to third grade, it is definitely uh, more, it's difficult, okay? It becomes harder um, at that point, but it's not impossible, but it does, it, it's, it requires more work. It's, it is more difficult. And you know what, you're right, because that, that does make more sense because when I see clients, when clients come to me for help, when they're having issues, it's usually third grade, 
because the curriculum gets harder and then you see the difficulties, mm -hmm. but yes. okay, now you have to go back and teach the foundation. But as you said, pick it up in kindergarten. Yes. And I love that you said it because I say it all the time. Trust your gut. Yes. It's there for a reason. Moms, dads, parents, guardians, if something doesn't feel right, trust your gut. Get right. out there, look, ask questions, you know, ask the school, check out YouTube videos, watch, you know, reach out to people, get help because you can fight the school so much, but is that really the best use right. of time and energy? Exactly. And I totally agree with that. Why put it there? You know, um, and I, I know this is not where we were going with this, but I do want to say this is that some of these some of the issues that our students have, like when they go to school, you can prevent them, not prevent them, but you can at least even what you're not sure a lot of times until kids, hit, you know, get to school that there may be an issue. Um, but what you want to do is start early when they're babies and when, you know, they're in preschool, those ages, you know, play with them, you know, do when we were younger, when I was younger, I'll just say when I was younger. OK, so nursery rhymes were a big thing. So yes. that's what you did. You know, even the patty cake, patty cake, baker's man, you know, bake me a cake as fast as you can. You know, so there's rhyming, you know, there's a little bit, of, you got the, ta, 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 you know, so when I do that, there's some syllabication in there, you know, dividing of syllables, make me a cake as fast as you can. So all of that stuff, um, those things that we did way back in the day, those things work. Right. You know, and the, um, the Dr. So, Seuss books. Exactly. Sam, exactly. Sam, you know? Right. Talk to your children. That PSA announcement had a public a, a commercial that was that woman was in the grocery store. What color is this? It's green, green. What is this piece? You know, she was doing that. And you saw at the end of the commercial, she was talking to her child. That stuff is necessary for, you know, yeah. language development. Do those things. Right. And it's, you know, I'm going to bring up a, a friend of mine again, who was a reading specialist. Um, she was babysitting my child once uh, who was six months old and she's holding the baby, you know, and reading a book to her. I'm like, reading already? She's like, mm -hmm. yes. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. And, you know, you don't think about it because how much do they know? But you're turning the pages. Exactly. And seeing the mm -hmm. print. It's yes. just the exposure mm -hmm. that is so helpful at such at an early or an early age. Yes, absolutely. I, I remember, like I know, like some of the schools I taught in were the inner city schools, and a lot of times, you know, the parents didn't have the best education, and right. the parents didn't know how to parent. Right. Um, and again, in some cultures, some areas, it's like, well, I'm, you know. I'm an adult, I should know how to parent. Like, don't know to reach out to help and don't know there's help out there. Like the mommy and me classes, yeah. you know? Um, and and learn how to how to teach your child basically and how to give your child that, that running start. Exactly. Um, right, and you said like most, uh, a lot of times children aren't identified until they reach school because they don't know who do they have to compare with. Right. They're not going out and having friends groups and having play dates and all of that. And if they're not going to preschool because they're a stay-at-home mom, which is fine, is great. Right. But see what's going on out there right. and uh, yeah. find play dates, socialize. Yeah, right? I would. Yeah, I would definitely admonish it. Get you know, find a group 
you know, definitely find a group because it just, you know, so they, because it's not just, okay, again, we know what the play groups groups are for you. They're playing, you know, developing and building relationships, but however, you know, as another side note, it's language development. You're, this, your child is hearing other kids speak, you know, and how to respond and, and all of that. So it all impacts, you know, the whole being of a child. And on the mom or dad. Yes. Because it's it, your kids are playing and what do moms and dads do? They yes. talk about, oh my gosh, I can't get my child to sleep. I can't, yes. you know, and somebody says, oh, try this trick. Yes. And you're learning how to parent better. Absolutely. Because, you know, there's so many different things. And every child you have, even in the same household, learns differently. Exactly. So what you're doing for one for potty training is not going to work for the other. So let's find other skills, <laughs> right? And it's support. I mean, I say it all the time. Parenting is hard. Yeah. Parenting is hard when it you have is. neurotypical kids. Add the, the neurodiversity and the other non you know, not, I don't want to say non-standard way of learning or doing things. And it just adds another level of what we as parents need to do. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Do you work with parents to teach them how to, how to like reinforce what you've taught? I do. I do do some of it. So some of my most severe kids, I do not try to, um, I, I don't do it with my most severe kids. I'll just say that. I don't do it with my most severe kids because, um, first of all, reading is daunting. You know, even a few words for some of my most severe is just daunting. So they have their daunting hour with me. Right. <laughs> and But not only is it daunting for the child, it's also for the parent. It's hard. It's very difficult. So, when I come into that space of the ones who, kids who are most severe, I don't ask the parents to do anything. Let, let that remain with me. But as they begin to make progress and begin to feel more confident, then we'll add a few activities. You know what I mean? Um, you know, and it could be something as simple as, you know, okay, just do this, you know, one or two minute, you know, activity with them for sounds or, you know, whatever. But I will do that, but only, only for my light work students, when I say light workers, you know, dyslexia is a spectrum, you know, right. so you have mild cases, moderate, and you have severe, um, and every, and everyone in between those. Um, and so, um, like I said, it just depends. Um, but most of the time, most of my students, I, most of mine are the more moderate to severe. So I'm very limited with regard to what I give a parent to do in that aspect. That's just being honest. Um, no, that makes sense. I mean, because again, parents have a hard enough time, yeah. you know, like I pay somebody to clean my house. I'm yeah. not doing it, you know, right, like right. pay somebody <laughs> to teach my child to read. Cause even though exactly. I'm a, a teacher, I don't have, I don't have the patience for my child. Yes. Yes. You know? Yes. Um, and so, you know, that, that actually brought me to something that I was thinking about. Um, do children need to have the label, the testing to say they're dyslexic to come see you and start services? Um, not necessarily. I mean, if someone could come to me and say, hey, you know, I'm seeing this and I really, I've been to the school, they won't do this, they won't do that. So don't, we don't need to do that because I do my own assessment. It's not a formal, but I do my, I do my own assessments. I do do that because I need to know really what it is. And if I feel like you do need a label, you know, the thing about this is that 
I'm not, we're not labeling for labeling's sake because labeling can be a little, it can be advantageous, especially when you're in the public school, you know, it can get you some accommodations of, you know, just something to help your student along while they're getting the appropriate instruction, not just appropriate, the appropriate for him or her. Right. So it can't just be, oh, getting some extra instruction so you can get the accommodations because you have this thing, this label. Right. But it doesn't mean it's going to ride with them, you know, for the rest of their lives. All right. So um, but they don't need to have a label to come to me. We can figure some things out. And, you know, most of the time I know a student, you know, when someone comes to me, if they have dyslexia. Right. You can kind of tell there's some telltales and not just the BD reversals. That's out. Okay, because not every student with dyslexia does that. Um, As a matter of fact, most of them don't. Um, So there's certain things we're looking at, certain things you look for. Um, Just because of my experience, I'm like, yeah, this kid presents as a kid with dyslexia. I could say that. Right. Right. But I would encourage, you know, getting an assessment, even if you have to do it on the outside. Um, I always help parents try to figure out a way, like if you can't do it all private, let's mingle some public and private testing. There's a way to do that too. So. Yeah, and I have a video um, on my YouTube channel on what do you do if you ask the school to evaluate your child and they say no. Yes. Um, yeah, they can't technically do that, you know. Yeah. Um, I love that. So you do an assessment and figure out what's going on and so you can individualize your plans with each right. child for what they need. Yes. So if I like I'm just thinking um like if a if a parent knows their child's a little bit behind. Mm-hmm. You know, cuz like the, whatever the little things from kindergarten are coming home and they're not getting it. Should they just come see you? Would that make more sense sometimes than trying to get the school to evaluate? Or um, I think, to, well, I think, I mean, here's the thing. So if you come to me, at least I can lay out some things you should do, right? Because sometimes when parents come, they're not sure. They're not sure what to do. Okay, I see this, the scores are continually low, but then that way, okay, so I can look at, I can look at the grades. I can definitely say, okay, yeah, here's where a kid is falling short. When I, you know, look at those tests, here's where they're falling short. And this is where some of these things look like, or at least according to the school where, you know, they're, falling short in the reading part. Um, so they can certainly come to me. I do free consultations, um, a 30 minute consultation for free. Um, and those are, and I actually ask for those things. So if they want to do a 30 minute consultation to figure some things out, right. At least get a plan. Like, what do I do next? They can absolutely come to me with those results. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Yeah, no, it makes sense because like, again, as I said, it's can be hard, expensive, stressful, all the other things, trying to fight the school when, yes, you might eventually get what you want, but you've just lost all that time. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Put the resources. And I say it all the time. Once, once school becomes not as scary and more comfortable and your child becomes more confident in, in school, it's amazing how things at home Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. (laughs) I've heard that so many times. Yes. Because I say, think of it as adults. Like when we have a stressful day at work and we can't get anything right, we can't get anything right, we can't get anything right. How's our, you know, behavior when we get home? Exactly. And what are we doing? And what do our children have to do to do that? Exactly. So if we... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I think that you're, you're, and I'm glad you said that too, because I think as adults, by the time you reach adulthood and things like that, you, you know, we tend to forget. And the 
children now, it just seems to me, are experiencing a lot more stress. I don't say it's more than ours, but it just, it, we have to remember that it was stressful. Remember what it was like for us to be stressful. I mean, I remember some very stressful teachers when I was coming up, like, you know, this thing, oh God, it was awful. You know, so, um, you know, um, the, you know, the, you know, students, they're experiencing these same things, you know, and just a lot of them, especially now too, like they have no idea what in the world is going on after going through this pandemic age of teaching. Just think about, you know, now everybody's trying to throw things back. Oh, you got to know this. You have to know that. You have to know this. It's just, and that's even for the kid who's just neurotypical, you know, they're not neurodiverse. They're just, it's just they're struggling, you know? Um, and so, right. yeah, people are going to respond because they're stressed, they're gonna respond. So as a parent, you know, I know you have to look out for your own life, but now as a parent, you're responsible for lives, not just yours, but the ones that, you know, that are growing up in your home. And so it does take a lot of work and yeah. And what people forget, um, I think, I mean, this pandemic was, you know, it was worldwide. Yeah, There was no way to protect our children. Our children heard and saw COVID people died. Right. And how mm -hmm. stressful that is for a child of any age. Exactly. You know, it's stressful for us as adults. Right. And that you're putting that stress on the child also with everything else. Right. Um, like that's a whole nother topic we could talk about. Yeah. Uh, catching them up <laughs> and letting them know, right? It's okay. It's okay. Um, yeah. So is there something like is, if you were to have a parent and you just wanted them to really know something or to understand about what you do, what is like the most important thing that you think you want parents to take away from this podcast? Well, the first thing I want them to really take away about their own child is that your child is extremely intelligent. That is the first thing because, you know, our, the students that come to you are usually, they're already broken down, the parents are broken down. So there's nothing wrong with your child. There's nothing wrong. Your child just is differently abled. Just, you're, they're just different. And so the instruction that they usually get at school, you know, it's just not different. They're trying to fit themselves into a world or an institution that only, let's say for instance, they only deal with squares where your child is round. So they're trying to constantly fit themselves into that. So it doesn't, it's not a mark of, you know, they're not, you know, stupid or not intelligent because they don't fit into the space. Okay. So that your child is intelligent. Your child needs to, you, whatever gift your child has, cultivate that gift. That gift can be a stress reliever. It can also be their moneymaker when they're an adult. Number three, please get the help you need. <laughs> Find somebody who will give free consultation, please do it. The training, you know, that especially someone like me goes through is an absolute guarantee to help you. If someone tells you though, that I can get your child on grade level in three months, run, because that is not true. <laughs> it is not the truth. So just run from that person. But yes, your child can do it. Your child is a reader. That's my motto. Every child is a reader. Everyone is a reader. And, that is so right. <laughs> and I want to add one thing, mm -hmm. parents, you did not do anything wrong. Absolutely. You are parenting the best you can. Absolutely. This is just the way your child is. Yes. Every child is different. Yes. And I hate when parents are like, how did I screw up? My child yes. is, you know, what did I do? <laughs> Nothing. You didn't. This is the way it is. Can I please add one more? 
Of course. Do not compare your children. Do not compare your child to another child in your home or anybody else. Don't do it. They're already suffering with that at school. Please don't do that. Yeah. Sorry. Definitely. No, that's <laughs> perfect. That. It's like, oh, I need to say that. <laughs> you know, like, I know, why can't you be more like your sister? You don't mm-hmm. realize how hard that is, yeah. especially because, okay, like you said, one has one talent, one has a different talent. Mm-hmm. So, because she's not like her sister, like this is her talent. And so like, you're right, cultivate that to help with the (laughs) self-esteem. This has been so awesome. I am so glad we met and I was able to bring you on my show. Thank you so Um, much. Is there anyone that you could think? I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. (laughs) Gee. at least she was clothed. Yes. Because <laughs> we've had that happen. Uh, not on my show, thankfully, but it has happened before. <laughs> you know, oops. Um, in today's day and age, it happens. Um, but is there anyone else? Like, I'm always looking for people that, that when I meet somebody that's great, I know you know other great people. Yes. Is there anyone else that you think might be a good guest on the show or might want to give a shout out to? Okay. I'm thinking so... Definitely. Oh, I don't know. Um, there's a parent that I talk to um, kind of frequently. Her name is Liz Hembling. I don't know if you've heard her. You may know her, but uh, oh, well, let me not say that because Liz is just she's Miss Social <laughs> Hour. But she is um, Liz Hembling's a great advocate. She's a parent. She's an excellent advocate. Um, there's also, uh, let's see, Winifred Winston. I know her. She's also a great advocate. Uh, for parents as well. Yep. That's awesome. Yeah. Because even though it's similar to what I do, it's not, I say it all the time, it's, I might not click with you and that's okay. Right. There's nothing right. wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with me. Exactly. Let's find somebody that you do click with and that's okay. I agree. Yep. I totally so, agree. Thank you so much. <laughs> and thank you for being on the show. Right. Thank and you. I look forward to talking to you soon. All right. Sounds good. Have a great rest of your day. You've been listening to Stress-Free IEP with your host, Francis Schefter. Remember, you do not need to do it all alone. You can reach Francis through schefterlaw.com, where prior episodes are also posted. Thank you for your positive reviews, comments, and sharing the show with others through YouTube, LinkedIn, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and more. 